0: Welcome to The Old World Lives, a Warmer Fantasy Battles podcast. You can find us on Facebook at The Old World Lives, on Instagram at The Old World Lives, and you can reach us by email at TheOldWorldLives at gmail.com. And now, on to the episode. Hello, and welcome to episode three of The Old World Lives, a Warmer Fantasy podcast. My name is Christopher and with me tonight i have jimmy
1: hello everyone
0: this episode is going to be focused on a little pre-recorded segment later on as we have said we are mainly sixth edition podcast dabbling in the other editions. so i'm going to talk about the differences between sixth and eighth edition and what the focuses on those post editions are that's on later on in the podcast before that we're gonna do as we always do and have some hobby updates so jimmy
1: Well, I've been slowly painting my night goblins. It's going really, really slow, but I'm getting there. And uh, mostly I've been planning a Skaven underground gaming table for a skirmish campaign in Warhammer Skirmish. And everything is based on basically Vermintide games. So yeah, that's what I'm working on right now with my brother, actually.
0: So what you're saying is that you and your brother have been playing way too much Vermintide?
1: Yes, that's about it.
0: There's nothing wrong with that.
1: Nah. It's a a great game. Every game set in the old world is fantastic games. Just look at all the old PC games like uh, Shadow of the Horned Rat or Dark Omen. Yeah, Yeah. really good games.
0: Or even up to Mark of Chaos because it wasn't a bad game. Just had to stand up to Total War of the Time. Yeah. My hobby updates then. It's actually really been too hot in the hobby room, so I've been building stuff. I'm building a tower, but we're actually not going to discuss this right here, because that's more focused on just rolling into this topic a bit later on, but before that, we have to mention, when G-Dubs are doing something good, they're doing something good, and this weekend, the 11th of August, going to open up like a made-to-order for the Warhammer Legends Dragons of the Old World.
1: Yeah, and those dragon models are fierce. They are The High Elf Dragon with uh, Imric, And uh, then we have Malekith on his Black Dragon. And finally, we have the Twilight Sisters on the Forest Dragon, yeah?
0: Yeah, that's a lovely, lovely dragon. Oh, yeah.
1: Fantastic details.
0: So if you're interested in elves and dragons, or just dragons, check these out, August 11, because they might not be the style of the new stuff, but they're still really, really lovely classic models. And I am so tempted to complete my set.
1: I'm I'm with you here. I really want to own all the three of those dragons. So we'll see if my budget will let me. But we'll know. We'll see. We'll see.
0: So for a future episode, we are going to have uh, basically dragon fights. They're going to be armies of dragons fighting dragons, eh?
1: We're going to fight the War of the Beard with real, true dragon princes, riding dragons.
0: Maybe we should uh, find someone with a large chaos army and uh, recreate the battle of Anarion and Kalidor versus the Chaos Horde.
1: I might know a guy, actually.
0: I might just do so. That would be interesting. If you as a listener think that's interesting as well, please let us know, because then we could probably make it happen. So, since I mentioned the tower, because we're doing a really long-winded intro this time, I think. Yeah. More to discuss. We've been talking about a campaign and uh, what we're going to do with, within the podcast. And uh, this is the Border Prince campaign we mentioned before. We have had some progress on it, actually. Jimmy, why don't you tell us about it?
1: Yeah, so uh, in the Border Prince's campaign we're going to play, we each roll out our uh, territories that we're going to have. And every territory gives the player a bonus or unlocks something uh, in the army them to use like magic users or more rare choices more points etc etc so uh, we've been rolling up all these uh, territories for each of uh, us five players in the campaign the the list is the following nicholas with his kislev have a shrine and a village christopher for his dwarves have a road and a wizard's tower i wonder who lives there the other christopher or krell have a river and a forest for his undead. And uh, Jens with his Empire army have a town and a village. And my Night Goblin, they have a sacred grove and some silver mines.
0: And yeah, I really have to
1: take those mines back from there. Yeah, you. I'm, I'm, I'm never going to let you do that. And <laughs> uh, to add to this, every player at the beginning of the cam- campaign is going to choose another territory too. Let's see here. We're gonna go into what each territory does.
0: Let's start with the shrine then, because it's the first one, right?
1: Yes, the shrine unlocks battle standard bearers for the army. For each shrine you control, your army may include one battle standard bearer. An army may never have more than one battle standard no matter how many shrines they control. And then they have a village. For each village you control, your army may include one extra special unit. So... The Kislevs can use a Battle Sandal Bear and they have a third special choice, I think.
0: So, isn't the only Kislev special choice the Griffin Legion, which you can have 0 to 1?
1: I think that's so. <laughs> well, him, yeah, it's a wasted thing.
0: On the other hand, it's only the beginning of the campaign because villages can be taken.
1: Yeah, territories may, may be lost and later found by other players. And uh, you, Christopher, you have a road. It gives you 25 more points to represent that you can move troops more quickly to meet your enemies.
0: Yeah, which will probably result in 25 more shields on my dwarves.
1: Free shields are never wrong. (laughs) And then you have a wizard's tower. So we're going to house rule this to let you use a runesmith for this.
0: Yeah, because there is no yeah. wizard al- uh, available to my
1: no, un- un- unless you want to feel the uh, dogs of war wizard, but it doesn't make sense rune- either way, cooler. I think. Yeah, rune are cooler.
0: Yeah, and that's what we're gonna do because there will be a bit of fluff written of this anyway. It's really good to yeah start it at the, at the inception and then just move on with it. Yeah, and this is actually where my hobby progress was next to me. I have the little wizard tower I'm building, which is a squat little tower based on uh, one of the artworks and later in-game resources from uh, Warhammer Online Age of Reckoning, because they have a really, really yeah. nice dwarf tower in that Yeah, room.
1: fantastic <laughs> art- architecture on every single building in that game, yeah. I must say.
0: And I really, really like that the artwork that's in the Age of Reckoning art book actually have a dwarf scale of reference, because next to the tower is how many dwarves it's tall, which is perfect for recreating it.
1: <laughs> oh, Jesus. Well, it's accurate, though. Yeah. Hopefully. I'm going to pile your dwarves beside this just to see if if you're true to the art.
0: Well, it will be inspired by, but not true to the artwork because... I'm going to do my own little flourish on it. Yeah, This would be a roomsmith tower, which is situated somewhere on the edges of where we're playing. This yeah. Is... So next up, we have a river.
1: Uh, Christopher has a river, and the land near the river is very rich and provides frequent and bountiful harvests, so the undead can harvest 25 more points for their army. Yeah. I see uh, the zombies 20... on the fields.
0: <laughs> 25 extra arms.
1: Yeah. And then they have a forest. Uh, the forest give them... Uh, they have they have supplies to make more war machines, and Undead have so many war machines.
0: Well, there will just be a lot of black coaches. Yeah,
1: yeah. Although both forests and mountains unlock skirmish units, so he can use ghouls. Ooh. Yeah.
0: And if we're probably going to sit down and talk about this a bit more, there might actually be other benefits for those. Just like me, that I can use a runesmith instead of a wizard. There might be some other benefits when you can't actually... Use the benefit.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: It will be more fun that way when you start off the campaign. Maybe not later on in the campaign because not every wizard tower can be a runesmith tower, but this one will be.
1: Exactly. So, yeah, uh, I, I might thinking he might have uh, 25 or 20% off on coaches, maybe because he has wood. Wooden zombies.
0: Yeah, let's set up wooden zombies. And They're a bit stiff. Have,
1: yeah. And they have then, then we have my places. I have a sacred grove. And uh, for each acre grove, I can have one extra rare unit. So I'm going to bring more Doom Divers. And for my Doom Divers, I'm going to add, I'm using the Forge World Goblobbers. So it's going to be huge squigs, spitting squigs. Yeah. Making sense.
0: I mean, why not? It's just cool. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then I have the silver mines for each silver mine I control. I can take one magic item worth up to 50 points. So yeah. I'm not so hot on magic items, though. Uh we'll see.
0: But you can take regular items for 50 points if you want to, just a spoon or something.
1: Yeah, 50 spoons. Oh yeah, I can eat soup. Soup spoons. Yeah.
0: There's one more. Since Jens' role, went for the role for Jens, he got the village because that one we've already covered. Yeah. And which is really good uh, for the, the Empire army because they have a lot of special yeah. troops. But They also you have a, a town.
1: Power. And for each town you control, you can include one extra character. This character may not be a lord, but may be of any other type. And uh, because the wizard's tower is the other thing that unlocks wizards, I read this as you can't uh, have a wizard for for your town. You can have any other kind of fighting hero. Like uh, in his case, you can have a... Uh, town priest. Town priest, yeah, and uh, and the captain. Uh, if you if were using later editions, he could use a witch hunter or something.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of options there. You just yeah. have to figure out exactly... What's what?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Do you have anything else for this before we move on? Uh,
1: the only thing is the only thing we can reveal now is that this part of the campaign will use the, as we mentioned, the Border Princes campaign sets in uh, from from the rule book in sixth edition, but it will be set mm-hmm. in the Ostermark,
0: mainly because uh, Nicholas wants to invade and expand Kisler.
1: Yeah, true, and uh, most of us are doing snow bases on our army, so it's gonna is is gonna fit.
0: Yeah, and this is also set around the time of Storm of Chaos, not exactly when around the Storm of Chaos, but this is at this time quite lawless. Most of the government has fallen, and there's some opportunistic possibilities here, just yeah. uh, moving in, taking all the stuff, and leaving. And this also means that my first army won't be a Slayer column. Because yeah. uh, for one, I can't take a runesmith in that. I'm probably going to start off with doing a guild expedition force, which is one of those on the back of uh, the six Dead Dwarf book.
1: I think it's going to be swell. I love that kind of army.
0: Yeah, and it's just, it would make sense that a small guild expedition just moves out, just check, checks whatever it is, try to collect the depth for all the black powder the humans once bought from them 350 years ago that they forgot to collect then. yeah, you know, the usual stuff.
1: Yeah, the repo man.
0: Well, the repo men with uh, cannons as core units.
1: Yep. Makes sense. Yeah.
0: But it's all for theme and fun, this. So it it will be really nice when we finally start rolling
1: dice. And also to mention for every listener, we aim to do this campaign at Warhammer World. We're not sure if we we can do it just yet, but that's our goal.
0: Yeah. If nothing else, we all, except for Nicholas, live in about an hour hour or a half drive if we're going to meet somewhere.
1: Yeah. We're going to exclude those Kislev guys.
0: Yeah, he's got other fun people to play with. But uh, since four of us live quite close, we should, we'll probably rock up doing weekend of gaming sometime or a long day of gaming. But when that happens, we will make sure to let you know on Instagram, which is the same as our podcast name, and uh, probably on Facebook as well, because we usually share it over. Indeed. Let's move on. We've got a short, short uh, pre recorded segment by Nicholas and Krell, because we, we're going to start calling him that, because it's way easier in the long run.
1: Yeah. He shall forever be known as Krell.
0: Yeah, we're trying to introduce other nicknames to him as well, but that's not for public.
1: Uh we're gonna we're gonna go in jail if we do that.
0: Yeah, but because uh, we said, this is a pre-recorded segment, and uh, if you have any thoughts on the segment or the discussion. This short discussion me and Jimmy have afterwards. If you agree or disagree or got comments on it, send them in. Send them on Instagram, send them on Facebook, you'll send them on the email address. We would love to hear what you're thinking. That makes it better for all of us, I think. As long as it's civil and not just, fuck you, you're doing it wrong.
1: Just don't use as many fucks as Nicholas do. That would be rude.
0: If you're sensitive, don't listen to it or be advised. Well, on to the segment.
2: Hello and welcome to this uh, segment of the All World Lives. What is not die
3: may not forever die, but only sleep. And we're woken.
2: Woken by crazy nerds who have desires for good rules, good fluff.
3: But if you think about it, isn't all historical technical projects really driven by drunk, angry nerds wanting to make the world a better place? If you really think about it, this is true. This is very true.
2: So in this segment, me and Christopher are the only ones here because the rest bailed on us.
3: I think, yeah, we should probably say the orc and Goblin player actually had a real occupational hazard by having to keep his word and actually do what he said. So good on him.
2: And the other Christopher got wifed, apparently. But it's fucking good to have a podcast with like at least four people that when people bail, it's just, all right, whatever, we're still two people and that's enough to do a podcast.
3: Yeah, I think redundancy is really the key, dear. Plus, we all bring different things. You bring competency, and I bring someone for you to talk to, which you know is important in its own way.
2: Well, you do have a nice voice for radio, I gotta say that. And in your own words, a face for radio.
3: I do have a face for radio. (laughs) I just want to say that today I went on a rant visiting my wife's friends, and they said, like, we're such nerds, we watch Game of Thrones. And I might (laughs) and might not have schooled these, like, free... 18-year-old men and women on how they were not nerds, how they did not understand a book. <laughs> then I went into the difference between the Game of Thrones show and the Song of Ice and Fire, and then I rounded it up by just heckling them and telling them about Tolkien for 25 minutes while drinking a beer. Uh, apparently, two 14-year-olds sitting behind me were laughing non-stop. So, <laughs> yes, I am proud. That's of my you. demographic. I am proud of you. Thanks. Core demographic: angry teenagers.
2: All right. So Is in you? this segment, we're gonna be talking about the differences between 6th and 8th edition of Warhammer Fantasy.
3: And why are we talking about that, Nicholas? Uh,
2: we are doing this because these seem to be, like, because fantasy is uh, that system, uh, but now that we started to play it again, you can kind of pick whichever system you want, which rule version you want to play. I mean, since there's no official one, they are official, but they're old. There's no standard one. Uh, you can choose whichever we think fits our purpose best. These two rule systems differ quite a bit and serve different purposes. It seems like these are the two fantasy players seem to pick between.
3: Yeah, and I think I'm not as experienced as you or Jimmy or Chris, so I basically asked you, Fluff Wife, what's the difference between 6th to 8th edition? And I think it was you or Jimmy who said very well with saying that in 6th edition, it's very low fantasy, it's gritty, it's gothic, there's still a lot of horror permeating the old world. And like you said, just before we started recording, magic was a rare occurrence that most people middling about their lives in the Empire Rarely saw, even if they heard about it. And in the 8th edition, it seems to be more like high fantasy. You have this commonly recurring heroes, magical swords up the Vazu. Everybody's heroic in their mien, and the bad guy's very clearly evil. In the 6th edition, it's kind of grayish. I mean, take the undead, which I do. (laughs) Uh-huh. Some of them are vampires, but some of them are more humanized monsters that do it because they want to test humanity and transcend humanity. In the eighth edition vampire counts. I mean, it's fun to read, but they are basically Superman goes vampire that rules with an iron fist because they can. Some of them for good reasons, but you can't get away from the fact that they do.
2: Yeah, uh, and if we go into like the differences, uh, if we start sixth edition, is kind of sol- solidified the fantasy universe that Game Workshop made since the 80s when their first edition came uh, and then they has been building on these stories and it feels like sixth edition was the first time that they really it's like the old world at least as i remember it from being a kid because i didn't really play sixth edition but i was collecting a lot at that time because didn't really speak english that well when i was 12 or something but i was an avid collector and i fucking loved going through the books and just looking at the, the pictures and the bits of fluff that i understood and sixth edition was a lot more gritty and small scale and like about this band of warriors going to the battlefield and having I mean, the best the heart of evil.
3: Yeah, and I mean it really becomes tangent when you once you compare like Empire Sixth Edition to Vampire Count Sixth Edition to Orcs and Goblins, each book is very solidly written. Just fluff-wise, at least from the perspective of your race, uh, if you just compare like the Empire to the Skaven book, it's very clear that both are speaker of the same sort of events. Sometimes in the same fluff segment, just about from different views, yet from their own part of the story. So I played in sixth edition. I had a vampire accounts book, and like the first couple of pages, once you get by, past the index. It's basically like horrid accounts of people encountering vampires in different situations. <laughs> it's the same in Orc and goblins, which I checked out, and the Empire, which you recommended. It's very vague. It's very driven from the first person narrative it's from the view of the empire so the empire doesn't have an x-ray vision to understand the motivations of chaos or skaven it's just basically oh shit i fought against this huge ass rat man and now the authorities are telling me it's some kind of chaos spawn i know what i saw and then that guy gets shanked by a nation or like the rats are just like we're doing this because it is we're not sure where we came from but this is what we do it's like a journal written it's a piece of fluff you got straight from the universe. And I'm looking at yeah. the 6th edition codex right here that me and Nicholas picked up during Lincoln, And some of them are just like, they've made it as if parchment of torn out pages from Witch Hunter's manual. And one of them's like, hold ye proudly the symbol of Sigmar, it will banish all vampires. And just next to it, you can't read what it says because it's blotted out by drawn out blood and just <laughs> a torn off a hand of Sigmar and the ring torn straight off the finger. And I mean, it's just great. It's fun to read. And it really yeah. gives you a fluffy narrative. I mean, you're checking out Two Armies right now. Is it the same for you? I haven't checked out Chaos Dwarfs, so...
2: Yeah, the thing is, like, Chaos Dwarfs that I'm collecting now uh, was made in 8th edition, but it was a Fourth World book made by uh, Alan Bly, and he really had, like, a more of a 6th edition feel to the whole book. Like, it's more of a... He said in, like, an interview that the book is more, like, had the feel of an artifact from the old world than an army book. That's kind of what it feels reading those old books from 6th edition. And 6th edition in general is more about a narrative and it was more like uh, let's build a narrative first and models and then whip out some rules for them and not like how can we make the next next book better rules wise and let's make some models for it which i feel it was more like
3: yeah i mean we discussed this briefly and we'll get back around to it like when we circle around we've planned this out somewhat but in eighth edition, it seems that Games Workshop were very much aware that they need to do something commercially to make sure people expanded their fantasy armies. So they took very solid measures to make sure both to expand the core choices, but also to buy big-ass kits. I don't mind the big ass kits. I think some of them are very solid. And like stuff like the Terror Guys and Amortis Engine and the Coven Throne, they look really cool. And they really have that centerpiece feel that you don't really get in fancy otherwise. But in some instances, it's very clear how they're pushing stuff to the front. Like how yeah. suddenly big models did stuff that we never even heard about before. And they pass it off as being integral to the core. In 6th edition, when they introduced completely new vampire count stuff, it was basically like, yeah, well, then you have this thing which we've spoken about, but it's basically a super vampire soldier that we put a soul into, and I buy that. But in 8th edition, you have like, oh, yes, and obviously all necromancers aspire to possess a mortis engine. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure that if all necromancers had a huge ass throne surrounded by ghastly spirits haunting all who laid visage upon his horrible persona, we would have heard about it until now.
2: Uh, yeah, this thing like, what I was saying before that the, they're the same game, but they're not really the same game. 8th edition is more about fucking epic clashes of armies. And as I said, they're two different kind of things, and some people like one or the other. I fucking love both, to be honest. I think, like, huge armies are all cool, just clashing into each other. It's fucking mayhem and big monsters. But then sometimes I just want to have, like, a skirmish fight in fucking empire forests where you just have small units battling around. No, I agree completely. Two two different things.
3: And I mean, in 6th edition, you could have things like 2,000 points since they reduced the points of pretty much every individual model. You could have huge blocks of undead or huge blocks of dwarves clashing with undead hordes, or you could add skaven clashing into elves. But you could have these huge battles, which are really cool, which is obviously what you imagine. And if you've ever played the Total War Warhammer fantasy game, then you know what I'm talking about. You can have like 2,000 men rushing into each other. You can really get the epic feel of a huge battle. And 6th edition was very much an intimate affair, like you just said. But also in 6th edition, you were sort of liberated from the basic core book. Because again, if you look into all the books, and this is continuated in Storms of Chaos... You get like, oh, you just want to play with slayers? Here's a slayer's cult army. Or, okay, you have vampire counts. Do you want to have like a Lamia vampire, the female seductress one, who just has a bunch of seduced swains fighting for her? Then bring them in. Use whatever empire army you want. Or you can have like a ghoul core. They weren't as stringent with what kind of army you could build, but they're just, as in Horus Heresy, it says you have to have the permission from your opponent to use this.
2: Yeah, that's kind of the thing, like the entire philosophy of Games Workshop during that time that they were less strict about what was actually balanced, but they just added a bunch of flavor. And this is the same when you look at the same era of uh, 40k Imperial Guard, and they had doctrines, you could flavor them a bunch. And then afterwards, they kind of streamlined it, made everything kind of the same, but it was more balanced as a game. Uh, But people seem more gamey after that as well, so I don't really know if that was a good idea or not. But like in 6th edition fantasy, you have a bunch of different armor lists, for each armor list. And, like, at the back of the armies, it's like, yeah, well, this is just the core army. But if you want to play the special army, then there are not just in Storm of Chaos, where you had a bunch of specialist armies you could play from. But in the back of each army book, they had, like, oh, you want to play with a bunch of cannons for the Empire? Well, here's the known uh, cannon train or whatever. And do you want to play in knightly order? Well, use knights as core, and these limitations apply. So, there's more, you could do some more flavorful stuff. And I love that, the, like they said in the back of the park, that uh, you can have these magic items. Uh, they have the same rules, but you have to name them differently because they're not the same thing, which is awesome. Like, they they, they told you, like, you have to name it differently. You have to change the fluff with this to be able to play with
3: it. Yeah, and I mean, it just demands something of the player. Maybe that doesn't really mesh well if you're a new player, you want to get into it. Maybe that does sort of terrify new players, which I can respect as commercial decision from Games Workshop. But, I mean, you have to name your characters sometimes, and like like you said, oh, you want to play a Middenheim army? Well, obviously, they wouldn't drill out a bunch of cannons. Try this. It just, yeah. it puts, not a pressure, but it puts a demand on the player to be innovative and actually put some real genuine effort into it. And I think, I don't know, like you said about being gamey, back in the day, if I ever played like a Rando, like I'm going to call him Rando Calrissian at like the local game club. I don't think anyone ever went, oh, that conversion is shit, or like, well, the Midenheim army should never be like that. We were like, what did you do? Oh, that's cool. I like that conversion. And maybe it has to do with the fact that we're younger, but at the same time, I can also remember younger people, like teenagers, being unrelentlessly angry at a bunch of stuff, so I don't think so. I mean, I think we just appreciated effort, and also, maybe to be fair, uh, back then, we didn't have... As much internet access as we do today. So whenever you saw a conversion, you thought that was really the king shit. Someone sat down and took apart two different kits and did that. And I mean, you always appreciate the effort.
2: Should we go and look at the differences between them, like um, rules-wise? Yeah, let's. So uh, the main differences between the systems that I would say, like the biggest thing I would say, is actually charge. This is in sixth edition and later seventh edition we'll go into that later you charge uh twice your movement and that's it always twice your movement and also you couldn't pre-measure so you kind of had to stand across from the enemy and say like hmm is that really 12 inches away i don't know i'm just gonna fucking have to go for it and then you measure and no it's 11 inches and then you just walk forward your normal move six inches you're fucked or <laughs> you make it in, and then you swing first. That's another thing. You always swung first when you charge, like they brought back in Ancient Sigmar.
3: Unless you face the model that had it always strikes first. Fucking hell.
2: Yeah, you, that's the way you charge. And then the other like, biggest thing I would say, because I collected dwarves before, is that the artillery is guess range. I fucking missed that they took it away when they had, like, you could pre-measure. In this game, it, is, it works in a different way. I love that they brought it in in 40k. But anyway, in 6th edition fantasy, you had to guess where you were aiming your cannon. You're like, you aimed it, and then you set a range. And that's how far the cannonball flew. And then you rolled additional distance and then rolled the bounce. I fucking love that. That's so cool. That It really feels like you're actually in the battle where you have to guess your artillery range.
3: Yeah, I mean, that's the way it worked during the Pollux. You fired your cannon and then you had a looking glass and two guys who adjusted the screws. And then you adjusted it again. Yeah. And just like in the game, the dwarves were better at estimating ranges. <laughs> But it was supposed to be a bit of guesswork, the unless had a, like yeah. you had like
2: when you draw up the the battlefield and then you draw the different units from the enemy and then they move closer and then you like check when they move you're like oh hmm, they moved 11 inches okay and he is looks like he's 17 inches from the side and minus 11 I'll just use Pythagoras and uh, <laughs> he's that far away okay I'll aim right here and the person who calls like what the fuck you're using math and yeah <laughs> fuck you.
3: Yeah, see, and I think that's actually, that's pretty unfair because I went to a pretty substandard uh, middle school, which means that obviously I'm at a strong disadvantage. But then again, I did choose undead. So yeah. No artillery. They didn't have what? any artillery, right? No, they have nothing. They don't even have shooting. Yeah. Uh, in 6th edition, I had one item that allowed me to shoot poisonous snakes that came back to life in air. And How cool isn't that? It's literally what it is. And it's like, Amazing. I can, sh- yeah, I can shoot with a character in a unit and I do two, two wounds and you get no armor save. And I think it says because the snakes crawl into your armor. And come on, that's just the <laughs> fucking best
2: thing ever. Yeah, there's a, so much flavor and just some very dark humor in Sixth Edition.
3: Yeah, and another thing we should probably mention is that pivoting and twisting and turning works differently in Sixth Edition. Yeah, uh, I think they streamlined that in Eighth Edition as well because now you could just you could move straight backwards or sideways at half your range in Sixth Edition. you would have to refresh my memory. You had to actually turn and then move, right?
2: I don't know how it worked moving backwards and sideways. I don't really know about that. I never did that
3: either in 6th edition. But if I remember correctly, I think you had to turn fully and then move. But uh, there was very clear rules for what that actually meant when you pivoted. But it also meant that if you moved backwards, you showed your rear to the enemy. In 8th edition, I could just face you and, I don't know what, like take a goose step backwards or something?
2: Yeah, another thing different 7th and 8th 6th and 8th units block line of sight so it's not true line of sight all the time as it is in 8th if you have a block of uh, infantry then they block line of sight to the block of infantry behind them because you can't see them at all you can't target them for shooting or magic or whatever
3: yeah another thing we should probably bring up right now is and i actually we had to check with jimmy before we started to constitute a rank in 6th edition you didn't have a set number of models did you I
2: did
3: four. Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah, they changed it from six to seventh seventh edition that you have to be five wide. Uh, Another thing that is more of an eighth edition thing is horde formation, that if you're 10 models wide, then you (laughs) have to attack with an extra rank. And also in eighth in general, the second rank can attack in close combat. And the second rank can shoot through the first rank. Which I can't in six. In six, you had to be on a hill to be able to shoot with a rank. Uh,
3: yeah, and it's something that's super important because I spoke to a bunch of people who want to get in fantasy and they had to explain why it was such a huge game changer. But there's also the very important steadfast, yes. which works exactly like stubborn in Warhammer 40k. Basically, yeah. if I have more ranks than Nicholas, I take all my leadership tests on unmodified leadership, which is huge because. Yeah,
2: it's very big for horde armies. Um, oh, yeah. A lot of people play at horde armies and a.
3: Yeah, because there's a direct instant civilization to do it. Yeah. Because, I mean, I'm a skeleton, I have leadership too, I give fuck all. But if I roll up something like a white, which has a leadership 7, everything I roll over my leadership, I lose models. So if I have unmodified leadership, that's huge to me. So Internet you can
2: see how uh, this game favors more big formations and just more models in 8th edition. Because there are rules that just give you benefits from it, straight up. Because uh, in 6th, if you had, like, a huge block of goblins, then they could just hold out forever. Uh, I mean, in 6th edition, they could flee, but in 8th, they could hold up. So 6th edition, if you got charged by cavalry, and you lose by, like, 3 or something, then you might lose the entire block, and you can't really do anything about it. You only yeah, have that... like, plus 1 modifier for outnumbering the enemy, and you just get plus 3 maximum for ranks, then the rest of the So you So yeah. you had to play with, like, more smaller units than sixty.
3: and i mean jimmy's gonna stab me for this and i'm very sorry about it, jimmy but you're gonna stab me anyway because you're a badass goblin player but i'm not sure if it's six to seventh or seventh to eight when they added a free reform if i charged you and wiped you out i think in eighth edition i got a free reform which is pretty big yeah and I also got the it's called massacre results if well, i defeat awesome. you in the first turn i get to move on and charge again don't i
2: what uh, wrong here? No, I don't think so. Only if the enemy is just straight behind. If you move into a line against the enemy, then you charge it. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, you're right. In 8th edition, you could, after uh, uh, close combat, then you could reform, you face a new way, which is huge, as you said. Because in 8th edition, you either moved on in a straight line after the enemy or you stood still. Those are the only two things you could do. You couldn't just move around.
3: Yeah, and I mean, we spoke about it briefly before, but a monstrous creature like a dragon or a terrorgeist or a chimera or anything that's a monstrous unit was, as a rule, better. I checked out the rules, but it seems like it's a lot better at killing units in 8th edition because you can strike more and you have the thunder stomp rule a bit like a nightly stomp attack I'm sorry that's my closest reference from Warhammer yeah. Heresy oh, automatic hits
1: basically I yeah but
3: know. but there's also a downside to that because if I charge into your I'm sorry what, what are those badass dwarf guys called the Chaos Wars. yeah What's your point? If you charge into those guys? Yeah, if I charge in like, your evil dwarves, and I can attack several lines, and then I get to Thunderstomp them, but we say that I win combat by five models, you still have more ranks. Yeah. So you're steadfast. So sure, I can kill you faster, but I can't overrun you to the same extent, which meant that you had to be a bit more tactical, but there's also a huge incentivization to bring a huge model.
2: Yeah, everything was bigger in 8th edition. How you can summarize it easily. So the reason, uh, though, that you guys... because. Like, when I got on board with this, I was mostly going of playing 8th edition with Chaos Wars. Because that's when their, their army came out in Tamarcon. Uh But, like, so is, like, mostly Yimmy. He's, like, an adamant fan of 6th edition. And so it's uh, Jens and Christopher. Uh, oh, and you yeah. as well with the Vampire Count book. Because, like, the, the fluff was just better. And it was more fun to build an army. And that's a, a huge deal in just building, an, like,
3: an army project.
2: Like, you're supposed to have fun with building it because there's no fucking point.
3: Um, well, I mean we came into this to have fun with a game system that we felt were balanced and we that we f- were excited to work with. And, and that's I the mean thing, like in 6th yeah.
2: edition it feels more like more like a labor of love that you have like a character to your army and the armies are fucking cool. Well in 8 it's more of a like a it's more of a project that like you kind of have to have a bunch of models to be able to play it. And from what i heard, that's kind of the whole problem with fantasy, that it wasn't profitable in the end, because they were just making it bigger and bigger of each edition. And then at the end of it, like an 8th edition or the end times, it's like, yeah, well, I need a fucking 3,000 point army. It's like 150 models or something just to be able to play this game. So no one could really get into it.
3: They did a good job of supersizing everything. Like, did you ever want to see the entire elf race reunified? Well, here's your chance. You can also play with Malekith as as the great leader of all the elves, which is obviously... <clears throat> I'm pro-Malekith, I should probably tell you. He's a good guy, he did nothing wrong, he was cheated out of his throne and he's back for revenge. You can do that, but you need to bring Malekith. And you want to bring Malekith, you have to have a minimum of, I think, three high elf units, two dark elves, and wood elf units.
2: <laughs> it's the same for it's everything.
3: Crazy. Yeah, you want to go yeah. crazy with Chaos Skaven? Do it.
2: whole end time fluff is like... Special thing when I say if I'm gonna play in like the old world, I would never think of like playing uh, the the end time stuff. That's like I could do that as a special campaign thing with some friends and just have like fucking epic events, but that's not really
3: the old world to me. No, I mean, that's also something we discussed. I thought it was a great to me, this is a great boon because now that we play Warhammer Fancy Battles, we don't really have to get hung up on what's next step. What are they going to do next with the army books? Where is the fluff moving? Now we have our own sort of role-playing world where the changes that we make to it as players are tangible and continuous. We don't have to think about, okay, but this happens in the fluff in the next book. Now, what we do affects the world as it is, which also ties into the games that we're going to play as Border Princes, because basically each and every one of us has an equal chance of establishing a local warlord and then draw upon the fluff and resources. Which means, I mean, as a game leader, that excites me. Is that a good word? Yeah, I'm going to use excites me. That means that now the world is truly ours.
2: That's a, like a thing. I was more come to the terms with the whole H. and Sigmar thing that they blew up the old world because now that they've destroyed the old world or, I mean, left it alone, kind of, they can't really fuck with it anymore. They can't just bring in crazy shit into the fluff that I would feel doesn't belong there. Now I can just go back to the old editions and enjoy all of the stuff that I enjoyed before. And I feel like I haven't explored it. Like I haven't played it enough or I haven't read enough books to be done with it. I mean, there's still so much left there. So many novels and so many like, battles that could be fought that I've never fought. So I'm just fucking happy to go there and play it again.
3: Yeah, and there's actually something we didn't bring up. Which is super important. I mean, I I get that you don't think it's important, Nicholas. that's cool. All your magic is driven by sacrificing the unbelieving into like, I don't know, a magma plate, which I respect. I mean, it's cool. I'll steal that. I mean, borrow it. But magic in 8th edition was a very different affair from magic in 6th edition. Magic in 6th edition was, if I remember clearly, you got a power dice for every wizard's power level, right? Like If I had two uh, four four 4-level wizards, I got 8 dice straight up.
2: Yeah, plus 2. You always start with 2.
3: Yeah, plus 2. In 8th edition, you roll 2 dices and if I'm having my magic face and I roll a 6 and a 2, I get 8 dices. Niklas will get the highest dice, which is 6. Yeah. Then I roll a dice for every wizard I have on the field. And if I get a 6, I get another channel. And then he does the same for dispelling.
2: Magic in sixth was a lot more, you could count on it more. You had the same amount of dice each turn, and the opponent didn't really have a lot of dice to dispel you with. It was more like it was was safer to to cast magic. Like you knew you were going to get your spells off.
3: And I mean, there's a reason why people who played Warhammer 40k, 7th edition, and 6th edition started calling the psychic phase the magic phase because that's what it was now. You out, you roll a T6, oh, this is my warp charges, plus the cycle level of everything, which with some yeah. armies, Grey Knights and Eldar, got a bit crazy. But in Warhammer Fantasy, I think that's actually one of the things that are pretty good with Warhammer 8th edition. They, they explained yeah, us. Well. yeah, it was the fickle winds of magic. The storms of magic are not with you. And that's basically because all the poles and the vortexes around the world are not blowing your way, which makes sense in a fantasy setting unfortunately sometimes that got a bit crazy like chris is playing a dwarf army and he rolls two d6s uh, okay cool he got 12 dices oh i'm a badass necromancer i got six dices and it should also be said that they streamlined a lot about how magic worked i'm not gonna i'm not gonna drag up that bone right here but magical missiles got a lot better and they now had a lot more streamlined magics and you could power boost them you could roll on like six eight or ten dice which might have been out in a 7th edition, but I mostly see it in 8th edition.
2: There were some crazier spells as well in 8th edition, like unit oh, destroying yeah. spells.
3: Yeah, I mean, just for vampire counts, they have a spell called uh, the Curse of Aging. And basically, I, I rolled to make magic on one of your units. And on the first turn, it remains in effect. And That was new for 7th edition, I'm pretty sure about that it remained in play, and you could try and dispel it every turn, but the first turn, it's in effect, you roll a d6 for every guy in your unit, and every 6, he dies immediately. No armor <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Oh no, it gets better. On the second turn, it's in effect, it's a 5 for every dude in that unit, and then a 4. And, and There are several,
2: several spells of that that you yeah. like, instantly kill.
3: I think you might know about it, but uh, Tamurkan's uh, Purple Sun is probably one of the best examples, because yeah. I think that's pretty much like a vortex, isn't it?
2: Yeah, uh, yeah. So you place, place a large blast, and you take an initiative test. If you fail, you die.
3: Yeah. <laughs> and that one did it remain in play? I don't remember. Yeah. Or did, it did it just like move around? Yeah, it did. You had one guy in your army who could. He had it like a sealed spell, right? He didn't even have to cast it.
2: Oh wait, maybe that wasn't actually initiative. I think that was pit of shades. Was initiative test, or you died? That was something else, and then you died. And then there yeah. was also a lorry metal, final <laughs> Transfig- transfiguration, or whatever. was is that when I turn into gold yeah and it's fucking uh, I don't know if was five or sixes maybe it was fives and then sixes on several wound characters or something and then they used to fucking die I've, crazy stuff
3: I've had a couple of beers and I've been arguing with teenagers and 20 year olds about high magic as opposed to low magic but without boring people think of it like this it's like basically Game of Thrones where magic is debunked and people talk shit about it and then somebody comes in and lights someone on fire and suddenly fucking dragons as opposed to say I mean, like Camelot. Merlin's around, he throws fireballs, the one true king has a magic sword, people have magic swords, it's not super strange, they go on uh, uh, incredible quests, and they have high oaths of magic. There's more of that in 8th edition and the later editions. Heroes arose. In 6th edition, it was a bit more cynical. Again, in Vampire Counts, they have an account of a great hero stepping up to a blood dragon and just getting trounced. Like, he gets his collarbone and rip-shattered. And it's like this great knight from Britonia, And afterward, he lies around thinking about how he was heinously defeated and how we can learn from this and become better. I don't remember if there's any other book where, like, people are just straight-up killed or murdered in the first parts of the, in the, first parts of the army book.
2: And, uh, yeah, like, those are the major changes that we went through in, right now. Like, magic is big. Uh, pre-measuring, fixed uh, charge distances, blocking there's the sight.
3: Yeah, There's one thing more I want to mention fear psychology as a whole got a lot less important in eighth All edition right. because before fear could basically paralyze your unit, now it's just in like in, a, in the fighting sub phase, it could retract attacks from you, it made All you right. Uh Terror also got a bit of a downgrade, but it's still pretty good.
2: Uh, and then of course, there are a lot of small changes. Oh, definitely lapping around in sixth edition. Like, if you want to combat, that you could. Take your rear line and put them around the enemy unit. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, light cavalry got changed a bit. And uh, also, uh, Vanguard doesn't exist in sixth, in process seven. So that's like scout move in old 40k and heresy that you can move before the battle begins. Uh, that exists in eight, but not in sixth. Uh, light cavalry changed a bit because I'm looking into light cavalry. Why are you doing that? Oh, you'll that's... find out.
3: Uh, Chaos works have that.
2: So when you move, uh, they can fire when they march. It's pretty cool. Uh, in 6th edition, though, they could fire in any way. So you could fire to the side and rear, so you didn't have to place them anywhere. But you could rotate them as much as you wanted anyway, in both six and eight, uh, In 6th, they don't get rank bonuses, which they do in 8th, which lends itself to 8th in general with the whole bigger units thing. So you can actually use bigger units of Light Cavalry in 8th because you can use their ranks when you
3: fight. I think that was it, like Vanguard and Ranks. Yeah, and I mean, to me, personally, I would play... I know Jimmy disagrees with this, and he's the expert. I'm not going to fall on that in any way. Looking at the ruleset now, I would rather play 8th edition than 7th edition. Because it seems to and me 6th. that in 8th... No, 7th. I mean, I'd play 6th. But going from, like, up to 8th, there's a lot of things that they sort of fixed for every army. They expanded on the rules books. They added options for different ways of playing. But in 8th edition it was the sense that they were coming to a head and they did improve a lot of things. It's a bit yeah. too high fancy for me and I do prefer the intimacy of 6th edition, but there's nothing wrong with 8th edition. This is a personal choice from us as players and we will probably play 8th edition as well. A good way to do this would be to have one like, one eighth edition army and one sixth edition army.
2: <sighs> yeah, I've started, because my case works were an 8th edition uh, book. I started with those and the people that I've been talking with before, they're playing 8th edition. It's like, yeah, I'll play this 8th edition. And then you guys were like, yeah, well, we're going to play 6th edition. And then at first, first, we we're like, yeah, well, I guess I could use the 8th edition book and just play them in 6th edition. But it always feels kind of wrong. And it doesn't really feel like they belong there. And then I thought, like, yeah, I could use their Ravening Hordes. Because uh, the Chaos Hordes are in there as well. But it kind of feels like proxying a bit. Like, yeah, I could use these units as this thing. It's not really what they are because they have like, this awesome fluff in 8th edition. So it all felt kind of wrong and then i was looking at like some books i was looking at chaos like where is the chaos but then it felt like because i've been looking at the eighth edition where's the chaos as well so sixth edition kind of felt like it was the same thing but less options or not as cool as eight so i kind of wanted an army that is pure sixth edition so that's when i went with Kislev. love
3: and just badass
2: so yeah that's the army i got for sixth edition and I've been uh, thinking like if I would use them in 8th edition, but you can use them, but the like you would have to kind of change the play styles a bit just depending, and to change the units, how you form them is depending on edition. Uh, Also, this is a very limited army, like the army list only has like uh, six units, including two named characters, kind of works, but since we're going to play like a thousand points campaign in 6th edition, I think it's going to be perfect.
3: Yeah, I mean, that's 6th edition. I, do you know what my special choices are for Vampire Counts? No, the rare choices. It's the Black Coach and the Dogs of War. That's all it says. It's like a page. Rare choices for the Vampire Counts. Black Coach <laughs> and Dogs of awesome. War. Yeah, I mean, that's the way it was. Yeah. And in 8th edition, I think I have like 6 choices, which is good. You have some variety and choices in there. but
2: Yeah, also another big difference between the editions is that in 6th edition, you had like a number of units you had to take minimum and maximum. In 8th edition, you have
3: percentage. Yeah, which again ties into the fact that just because you can do math and put on two shoes that are of the same color, (laughs) you get a clear (laughs) advantage. My ability to like dig coal early in the morning is not factored into Warhammer at all, which is a gross injustice of cosmic scales.
2: Uh, So yeah, those are two different systems. I don't know which I think I like more. Uh, kind of, this kind of changes army building a bit, but uh, that's another big difference, in my opinion.
3: Yeah, and I mean, like like we're trying to get across here, they're both valid systems. There's nothing wrong with them inherently, it's just we prefer the one over the other. And if you and your friends are somewhere out there playing one of the systems over the other, we'd love to hear from you, obviously. Yeah. We want to hear your experiences and share the game with people around the world.
2: Yeah, so send us messages if you play fantasy. If we would just fucking cap this up, it's... Uh, 6th edition favors more fluffy, small battles, and 8th edition is just grand fantasy regimental battle.
3: No, I think that's that. Do you have anything to add, Nicholas?
2: Mm, no, I think it's been a good discussion. I hope uh, we uh, made clear some of the differences, at least, between the editions. Yeah. They're both fucking, they're kind of like two different games, all the same game, but I fucking love both of them.
3: Yeah, and I mean, something that Jimmy showed us, just to, like, close it off my map, I found some cool stuff in the 8th edition sculpts, like the Terrorgeist, which I keep ragging on about, and like the Vargeist and the Vargulf that I really want to play in 6th edition. And we have Jimmy, who's played Warhammer Fantasy and still plays it, and he has a tremendous amount of experience. He looked over the rules, and basically it's not terribly hard to just adapt the retrofit back to 6th edition. Or you just have to
2: fucking play 8th edition with me.
3: Well, sure. I mean, (laughs) last week I painted up 40 skeletons. I feel good to go.
2: (laughs) Uh, so yeah, I think this is it for for this segment. All right. Yeah. So after break.
0: And that was Nicholas and uh, Krill talking about their views on X versus Eight, and uh, me and Jimmy's gonna talk a bit about that as well because we're gonna talk about what they just talked about. Jimmy, start us off.
1: Well, I really think they summed up what I do remember from comparing both editions without having to read both rule sets just to jog my memory. So I think they made a relatively fair comparison. Although it did lean more towards the favor of 6th edition than 8th edition. But that might be because I, me myself, is drawn more towards 6th edition. So I might have listened more to their 6th edition things.
0: I think we all have a slight bias to 6th edition. And the reason you mentioned sort of this, that I have not played a game of 8th edition. So I can't really comment <laughs> on the rules. I, I can only say that I really, really liked 6th edition. So That's all I can say. <laughs>
1: Yeah, because from an army book pers- perspective, 6th edition is more grim in the setting than 8th is. As 8th edition have more heroes, more great ferocious monsters, and this is, a, is, is an occurring theme in 8th edition rather than 6th. Uh, so if you, like mo- if you do like heroic things and big heroic deeds and great monsters and great epic battles, 8th edition is your game. If you want the more grim kind of game, Sixth is your suffering
0: game. peasants, invading yeah. army.
1: Yeah, everyone sits sitting in a pile of mud and splashing their hands down.
0: Yay! Yay! I'm alive. I only lost one foot today and wasn't even mine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's, there's there's more difference than just the rules that yeah. we tried to say. There is also a difference in the tone and how the, the world is conveyed.
1: Yeah, exactly. And uh, like I mentioned earlier, too, monsters. As they were more occurring in 8th uh, edition rather than 6th, it is because they are better in 8th edition uh, at dis- dishing out damage compared to prior editions. And uh, that's why they are more common in the game. Uh, like Krell mentioned, they didn't kill units by winning combats alone, as uh, what, what they are facing uh, often are stubborn due to steadfast. So they needed other units to babysit them to win a combat.
0: You can think of seeing bloodthirsters facing off against knotling swarms.
1: Yeah, and the knotlings will not run away from peasants. Well, peasants yeah. fighting a great <laughs> demon, and, and and they're not even afraid of it. There's like killing scores and scores of peasants, but they will never run away.
0: But that's also because we will never run out of
1: peasants. That's true. Until we do. <laughs> I think the game would end before they would kill all the peasants. Thunderstomp may be yeah. a great special rule, but it's not that good.
0: So is that what happened to Bretonnia after 6th edition? Yeah. There are they ran out of thund, peasants.
1: Thund, yes, they did.
0: But, uh, as I've said, I don't really know much about 8th edition. I used to know that 6th edition was the style of play I preferred. And the setting I preferred, which I've already mentioned. And that's also because there wasn't that much hope for grandiose, large monsters, l- large powerful heroes. It was the troops, it was the war machines that actually mattered.
1: Yeah, yeah. And like they mentioned, uh, magic wasn't as good in 6th edition as it was in 8th edition. And uh, as uh, 8th edition had their great, great destructive spells in the game. And if you got that that spell it could be a big game change. Positive thing in this part is, is that you could only have one of each spell in the army, or rather one I, I think that's how it was, or that you can only cast it once per turn in the army as a whole.
0: Mm-hmm. What we're saying is, we can't really say which one of these you should choose to play. This is what we like, which is 6th edition. There's also good stuff from 8th edition, we don't anything bad about that. It's just which setting you want to play in and which playstyle you want to play is up to you. And I think you could as easily just use the rules and, and settings from whichever version you want, if that's what you want to do.
1: Yeah, and uh, I'm gonna say this. Uh, Krell mentioned that I would kill him for him mentioning this. He said that uh, I would kill him for him like, for, for him rather playing Eighth Edition than Seventh Edition. But I won't. I would also rather play Eighth Edition rather than Seventh Edition. Yeah, and, I can uh, agree with yeah, that. Yeah,
0: Seventh was when my interest at that time started to peter off.
1: Like I said earlier, I may prefer Sixth Edition, but I would play 8th edition without any problems as long as I don't play a douchebag.
0: Yeah. The one, the person you're playing is probably more important than actually what version of the game, at least when it comes to these three ones.
1: Yeah, I agree. Totally. It's a
0: bit bigger difference 1st to 5th edition as well.
1: Yeah. Uh, also, uh, one thing they mentioned that I think is a great thing, there is no worry about the next book that will come and how it will affect our armies. Niklas also pointed out that there won't be any changes to the lore. And uh, there won't be any new factions, So this is our world now.
0: Yeah. And even though we would probably all really like more fiction set in the old world, because it's a really nice setting.
1: Yeah, it it truly is.
0: So that's probably it for this time. We're just going to probably mention what we're going to do next time. And that is our first edition of our little book club. We're going to read a book that we have already mentioned on Instagram, which is Riders of the Dead.
1: Yeah. And I am probably the only one in the group that haven't started reading yet, but I'm starting in a few days, and I am sure I'm going to love it.
0: Yeah, we've got a week or a week and a half until we record next time, so we'll yeah. have some time.
1: Plenty of time. And
0: tying into this, we're actually going to have our next army focus, and that is Nicholas, and he's going to talk all about his Kislev and why he loves them.
1: All right.
0: And we're probably going to have some updates on our campaign as well. Maybe we've actually yeah. decided exactly where it's set. And maybe we have started on like an army list per person or something.
1: Yeah. Hopefully everyone can give a, a hint of what they're going to use in their armies.
0: Dwarves. That's my hint.
1: Only dwarves. Enough said. And cannons.
0: Dwarves and cannons.
1: Goblins and squigs. Enough said.
0: Fair enough. I'm going to take a punt that Rattling Bones and Dudes on Horses or other people. Yeah. That's it for today. Got any comments? On what you heard, maybe you have some th- thoughts or inputs in our way, and we'll get back to you.
1: So tune in next time, and until then, take care, everyone. Take care.
0: Time have ended, and the realm of elves, dwarf, and man shattered. But in our hearts, the old world lives.